0: Good morning. My name is Matthew, one of the pastors here. It's a joy to gather together with you. It's a joy to sit underneath the word of Christ and worship along with you in his word, under his word. Stay there in Mark. That's where we'll be this morning. Camouflage, and I'm not talking about fashion. I'm talking about war. Camouflage is helpful. Until your opponent has thermal radar. At that point, camouflage begins to break down. The point of camouflage is to be able to hide. Hide beneath the visible spectrum. Beneath appearances to confuse your enemy. To appear like something that you are not. But thermal radar sees past appearances. It's not deceived by things on the surface. And such is the case with our God. He's not deceived. We might put up a bunch of appearances, make ourselves look good. But he's not deceived. He's not tricked. God looks not at the external things. He looks at the heart. He's not fooled by outward appearances. He says this, Deuteronomy chapter 6, which we read last week, actually. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul. So the words of Jesus quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul. This is the greatest commandment. It's the, stuff, the, the inner stuff of, of desire, motivation, treasure, our affections. It's where Jesus is targeting the entirety of the law. Those 613 commandments that the scribes would teach summed up in this. Located here. The innermost being Located here, but then affecting the entire, entirety of someone's life, your life. This is what's commanded. This is what we are held accountable to and for. In our text today, we're seeing two very different pictures of religion. One's a showy picture, and one's authentic. We're going to see a false love that is to be condemned by Jesus and we're going to see a true love that is commended by Jesus. And we have to ask ourselves at the outset, where do we find ourselves? Do we find ourselves this morning treasuring God in the inmost being? Or is there a religious show going on Let's not be deceived this morning because God is not deceived. He sees all the way into the depths of our hearts. Let's come to him now as his word exposes us. It's going to expose all of us, I pray. None of us are pure and holy this morning. But by his spirit, may he expose us, lead us to Christ, lead us to faith and repentance And holy living before Him. Let's pray for His help. Heavenly Father, this is your moment. You own this slice of time over the next 30 minutes. And in the entirety of our service, God, it belongs to you. Our lives belong to you. This word is yours. We pray, God, merciful, sovereign, God, to open up our eyes and our hearts to see your your word and to respond appropriately, appropriately to it this morning. That we may see our sin, but God, even more so, that we would see our Savior and we would be drawn into worship of Jesus, your son, that we as individuals and we as a church would be transformed into his likeness, that we might receive a hard word this morning. We might have to do some tough repentance, but that repentance leads us into the joy and the freedom of the gospel, of being your sons and daughters who don't hang their heads in shame, but rejoice in affection an eternal favor that's been placed upon us. God, take advantage of this moment for the glory of your Son and for the extension of your mission in the world. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So first we see this picture of a false love that is to be condemned. Verse 35, and Jesus taught in the temple. And he said, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? Because David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. To love God with all our heart, mind, strength, and soul means that we first need to know God. It's impossible to love a God that you do not know. We worship God according to knowledge. You need to know some things about God. We need to know things about God. And how does God give us information about himself? Well, certainly we might see some things in creation, his power, His creativity. There's nothing in creation that tells about his covenant keeping, steadfast love, his grace, and his mercy. We can't learn in any authoritative sense about God by staring at a tree. Where can we get information? We get information about God in his revealed word. God has graciously given us his word to tell us about who he is and what he's done. Praise God for his word. We must know God. And the only way to know him is through the scriptures. Because the deal is, if we're not worshiping the God of the scriptures, then we're not worshiping God. We're worshiping something in our imagination of a false God, a demon, something created, not the one who's uncreated. All of this climax is in the person of Jesus Christ. That's what the entirety of of all the scriptures are pointing us to. God is revealing himself through Jesus Christ, through the Holy Scriptures. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says Jesus is the exact imprint of his nature. The the glory of his radiance is the person Jesus. You want to behold the glory of God and all of his beauty and perfection and magnificence. You want to know exactly who God is? You look at Jesus. You simply look to Jesus that is the only place, the authoritative place where we see God displayed to humanity. In no other person, in no other place. How we view Jesus is how we view God. Your love toward Jesus. Is a reflection of your love towards God. That's why it doesn't matter to love God and not love Jesus. That's condemnable. There's a lot of religions that claim that they worship God, but Jesus is not God, Jesus is mortal, he's just another teacher. All paths lead to God, right? As long as you're sincere, genuine. Choose whatever road you want to go down. Choose whatever God you want to worship. No. That's what the world might say to you, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you must worship Jesus. If you care about worshiping God, you must worship Jesus. And this is the flaw. This is the critical error that the scribes had made. They're trying to worship God without worshiping Jesus. Jesus exposes their teaching. How can the scribes say that Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David calls him Lord. He's quoting Psalm 110. And these scribes who Blake talked about last week, they're they're positioned inside of Israel, inside of the the entire uh, earth, to be the primary interpreters uh, interpreters of God's word. So they are the teachers. And Jesus goes straight to the heart of one of their teachings, one of the most popular teachings that they had. A messianic promise prophecy. Here comes a warrior through the line of David who's going to inaugurate the kingdom of Israel. And they love this psalm. And Jesus is not saying that it was wrong for them to quote this psalm in this way. What's wrong is their teaching about this psalm. They got it right that the Messiah was to come through the line of David. And yes, he is a warrior Messiah. Messiah. But that's where it stopped for them. They had the natural line, but they were not discerning and perceiving the spiritual line. So Jesus points out the problem. You're calling David's son the Messiah, but yet David calls him Lord. So in their understanding... A son of David would be not as great as David. It's just a son. The father's greater than the son, in human terms. That's the way they were viewing this Messiah. So Jesus is saying, Well, how does David call his son my Lord? Because that's putting the son above David. David Has this revelation. He's looking into the Godhead and he sees my God or God speaking to my God. It's a beautiful passage. The Lord is saying to my Lord, Yahweh is saying to my Lord. David sees something here. There's divinity here, there's two. There's two. There, God is not speaking to himself, he's speaking to another. But he's speaking to another, the God. It's a bit confusing because it's the Trinity, and we can get lost in this, but he's speaking to God's sovereign representative, the Christ, Jesus. And so the scribes were missing. They were seeing him in human terms, they were failing to see his divine terms. And he's both. Jesus is the son of David, and the son of David is the son of God. And they were so far missing it, literally the son of God is standing in front of them, clueless to it, and wanting to destroy him. want to kill him. This Representative of God. He's done nothing wrong. He teaches in full authority. He has authority over all of creation, all the demons. Fullness of authority, let's kill him. He's coming as God's representative. That shows where your heart is. You don't like Jesus. You don't like God. You don't like the things that Jesus does. We don't like the things that God does. You don't like the things that Jesus says. You don't like the things that God says. You don't like the things that Jesus stands for? His view of marriage or holiness? Then you don't like the things that God stands for. Jesus exposes their false teaching, and false teaching never leads to true love of God. He continues to expose them, Verse 38, and in his teaching, he said, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. Why are the scribes in danger? Because they are acting like they love God when they don't. Or not not sorry, they are in danger and they are a threat. They are a danger. They're leading people astray and not only their teaching but in their behaviour. That's dangerous. It's dangerous to appear one way and to be another way. especially in matters of religion and spirituality and teaching, souls are at stake. Eternity is at stake. So it matters, big time. And what's going on with these scribes? Jesus calls them out. They don't love me, obviously. They don't love God. They don't love me, his representative. What do they love? They love their long tassels hanging off of their body, like to just walk around. Just walk around with these big robes on and just look at me. Everybody, look at me. I'm something special. I'm different from everybody else. I wear these fancy clothes. They like to walk around. Just walk around. Be seen. Wear these clothes. Then when they go to the marketplaces, they like to be greeted. Somebody somebody greet me. can't just go pick up my veggies at Harris Teeter and go home and Nobody talked to me. I'm definitely not going to do the express lane. I'm not going to have them deliver packages to my doorstep. I'm going to go there so somebody can greet me. Tell me how awesome I am. One of the greetings might have been that they would actually literally get like a kiss on the hand. Something to just show, hey, you're special. That goes on. Jesus goes on. They, they love certain seats. In the synagogue, and at feasts, in the religious spheres, and in the party spheres, give me the best seats. That's where I. That's where I belong. They would say, "How, how dare I be a commoner? Sit somewhere beyond, you know, out in the crowd. Be up front, have the best seat. All eyes on me. Make me look great." And feel great. This is what they love. It's what they like to do. It's what they scheme for. It's what they protect. It's what they guard. And that's what they get upset about when it's threatened. That's the castle of self they've been building. And it's sick. and gross. And it's got the appearance of religion. Self-absorption is bad enough when it's just between you and God. I mean, I know in some sense we never sin alone. Sin always affects the community. Yes, it's true. But then there's an overt sense that sin directly impacts the community. So Jesus goes on. I think the evil is it's next level. Because you're directly impacting other people as they devour widows' homes. And for pretense, make long prayers. Devour. They treat widows like prey to be consumed. What's going on here is you have, a, you have a widow, right? Through the scriptures, we see widows and orphans are the most vulnerable in this society, the, by far the most vulnerable, helpless people in the community to be cared for. You need to extend God's mercy to people like widows. You don't have anything, and this widow grieving the loss of her spouse, and then they would show up to this widow and weasel up to her, and they'd come in all this religious garb. And the pretense prayers here, it it may be very well connected to the actual engagement with the widow. Maybe these pretense prayers are more broad. But so you come here, certainly they would be here for pretense, and they would counsel this widow and pray with this widow. And here's what you need to do. If you really love God, you need to sell your house and give all the proceeds to us. Or donate your house to the religious folks like us. That's what you need to do. So they would devour the widow's home. Not protect her, not extend mercy to her, but abuse her and rob her and do it in the name of God. It appears strong. Got strong religious game going on. Look very clean on the outside, but Jesus looks at them. As we've seen in other places, you're full of dead men's bones. You look great on the outside, but you there's death on the inside. He says they will receive the greater condemnation. Teachers of the law receive greater condemnation. They're not escaping. They're not fooling. They're fooling People are not fooling God. And they will give account. Every one of us gives account for everything that we've done. Every thought we've ever had. Every desire we've ever had. Before we throw stones at these scribes, let us consider ourselves. Spiritual show. A disconnect between the heart and what we see. things that we post online, things that we say. And we know in private, we're different than our public reputation. And yet we strive to keep our reputation. These, there becomes a gap here, a gap between the heart and our life lived in the public. And we try to hide and we try to deceive one another, but we can't deceive God. Where do you need to repent this morning of religion taking over your life? It's not authentic. It's not driven from a heart of love. There's show involved. We just like to check off the list and look good. Come to a service. Come to a Bible study and look good. Self absorption. It's a false love that Jesus calls out here and it's to be condemned. But next, we see a picture of true love that is to be commended. Let's take a look at that. Verse 41. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small, small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. So Jesus is at the temple and this scene gives us a contrast picture to the scribes. And he's there and he's watching people are coming and the the very public offering boxes that you could come and donate your wealth to the temple. And it's a very normal scene. You've got rich people coming in and you can tell that they're rich by probably the way that they're dressed. Jesus is omniscient, but everybody would have just seen this. Rich people dropping in coins. Might have been making a show for it, lots of coins, you know, break up the dollar into not the stuff that folds, we need the stuff that makes noises, that goes into the offering place, so everybody can hear it. Four quarters is better than a dollar to give into an offering box. Regardless, if there's show going on, it was just normal. Rich people giving in coins, and poor people would show up, and they would drop in something small. And everybody watching these things, it would have been very normal. You wouldn't, you wouldn't write a blog about this. Very normal. Rich people giving lots of money, poor people giving little bits of money. But to Jesus, something catches his eye. While no one else sees anything unusual going on, something very unusual is going on to Jesus' eye. In fact, it is spectacular in the eyes of Jesus. I think he has a little moment. He might give a little fist pump to his father in heaven right here. Yes. Look at that. Do you see that, Daddy? You see what that widow just did? Awesome moment for Jesus. So awesome. He's like, I can't miss this. I can't miss this moment. This is a teachable moment. He whistles over to his crew. Come here, guys. Can't miss this moment. Sit down. Let me teach you. Let me tell you what has just happened. You're not going to believe this. Guys, this widow has just put in more money than everyone else, possibly even combined. And if you're them, you're going, what? What, Jesus? I mean, you're scratching your head here. Probably, they probably turn to each other and be like, I know the guy can teach the word of God, but I mean, mathematics, I don't, I don't know if that's his jam. Surely you're missing something, Jesus, or you're out of your mind. Well, go on to explain and explain he does. He gives us the reason For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Jesus is giving generosity a new metric. He knows exactly what he's talking about. Generosity is measured not by the impact on your bank account, but on the impact of yourself. Love, devotion. How how, how is that displayed in the act of giving? Like R.C. Sproul was saying in his commentary, it's not what you give, it's how you give. You got all these rich people, they're giving a lot of money, but they're just, in terms of cost or sacrifice, minimal at best. They're given out of the far overflow. Even though it's probably pretty showy, draw a lot of heads. Oh, wow, look how much money you're given. And you got this widow. Jesus reiterates, she gave everything she had, all she had to live on. She's walking out of the temple with Nothing. In the shadows, nobody sees her, nothing spectacular. But she's, Jesus is saying the cost to her, she gave everything. She gave everything. And that's what Jesus highlights the world overlooking it, but in Jesus' eyes, she's in the spotlight. R.C. Sproul also mentioned she now becomes the most famous donor in history. We're all reading about it right now. Don't know her name, but she is famous for this donation. Beautiful, marvelous in the eyes of God. Why can she give everything? Because God means everything to her. That's why. Does that mean now that we need to give everything to the church? No, it does not mean that. This is descriptive of commendable worship. This is not prescriptive for all believers in all places. We have other godly responsibilities like taking care of our families and our children that are biblical and godly to do. But the heart of this, the heart of this giving, this act of worship, we must take to heart, this principle we must take to heart. Learn from her. She's giving everything at great cost to herself. How sacrificial is our giving to others, to the church? How sacrificial is it? Are we giving out of the complete overflow? And and, and it's not to draw a a legalistic line somewhere. It's just that you're displaying love to God. This is how much you mean to me, God. I'm, I'm giving of my finances. Finances in the Bible are so near and dear to our hearts as humans. Jesus talks a bit more about finances than he does in heaven or hell. It's just so rooted here. So, how we deal with finances is a big deal. How sacrificial is our giving? And what does that mean about our hearts, our view of God, our enjoyment of God, what God means to us? We're replacing our trust. We're replacing our affection. What does it mean? What are we doing? We're not giving to earn God's favor. Far from it. That's demonic. That's demonic and anti-gospel and anti-biblical. We don't give anything to God to earn his favor. A, it belongs to you. B, you can't. We're giving to God because we have his favor. (laughs) We give to God because God has already placed his favor on us. We're worshiping our heavenly father. We're worshiping our creator. And this is much broader than finances. It's about our life, our heart, our being. God does not just want our finances. We've been talking about that. He wants our hearts, our lives. We are not to give of our bank account, we are to give of ourselves to God. That's the greater lesson that Jesus is teaching his disciples, right? He's been talking to them about true greatness and what does it mean to to seek real greatness in the eyes of God? And he's showing them, hey, this, this widow right here, guys, this is greatness. Pursue that. Pursue this type of devotion, this type of love that would sacrifice everything, that would live in complete dependence upon me. Jesus is not asking them to do anything that he's not already doing. Because in just a couple days, Jesus is not going to be placing a couple coins inside of an offering box, inside of a clean, nice, holy temple. He's going to be dropping his body on a cross. Outside the city gates, in a place reserved for criminals, blasphemers. It's not coins going into the offering box, it's blood running down a cross. That's where Jesus is going. He is going to give everything. Ephesians 5, 2 says this. Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as God loved us, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That is an act of worship, an act of complete surrender and devotion and love. As that blood is coming down and that sacrifice on that altar... An aroma is going up to heaven that is pleasing to God. Commendable love and worship that the Father delights in. This is pure worship, pure love. A pure sacrifice. There will never be an act of devotion like this ever again. Never was, never will be. This is a perfect sacrifice. He gave it all. And what he gave was perfect. Because he is the unblemished lamb of God. The righteous one the better Adam. The one who fulfilled the law at every step. Who perfectly loved God with all of his heart, mind, strength, and soul. And who did that in such an authentic manner. There was no disconnect between the inner reality of Jesus' heart and the outward manifestation of his life. On that cross, as his heart stopped Beating. His spirit was beating for his father. It's perfect. And it was not just for his father, it was for us as well. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, for wretched. Self-lovers, so consumed with ourselves, so at odds with God and his will and his heart. We've all sinned and fallen short of this command. We don't hang our heads this morning in shame. This is why Jesus died. This is why he came. He came to die for us who would agree and say, yes, you know what? You're right, God. God. You're right, Jesus. I have not loved God with all my heart, mind, strength, and soul, and not with my finances. And Jesus says, that's okay. That's why I have come. I have come for you. Jesus actually would rejoice if you would agree with that. Otherwise, you're you're spitting on his sacrifice. And we get that, it frees us up. We are a free people, church. Christ has died for us. Christ rose from the dead for us. Christ ascended into heaven for us. We are adopted in by the blood of Christ. All eternity has been secured for us, the forgiveness of sins, life forever with God, His righteousness credited to our accounts, God no longer ever to be feared, but a father to be eternally delighted in? How much does God the Father love God the Son? What would you say? He loves him a lot. He's perfect. His love for the Son is infinite and pure and holy. You know what the Bible declares about us in the gospel? Is that if we are in the Son, that's how much God loves you. The same affection the Father has on the Son is the same affection the Father has on you this morning. All because of bloodshed. There was coming a time when all the enemies would be placed under this Lord, my Lord's feet. And it happens on the cross through the death of Christ. The death of everything that would oppose us in the glory of God is taken away, removed. All sin, all shame, Satan, suffering, everything's been placed under his feet. Jesus, the Christ, the Son of David, the Son of God is resurrected and raised up into heaven, highly exalted, above every name that is named, that can be named in this age or in the one to come. That Messiah was Christ. And it was warrior-like, but it just didn't look like grabbing a sword. It looked like grabbing a cross. And it was far more than bringing a natural kingdom, it was bringing a spiritual kingdom that would last forever. Why can we give everything to God? Because God has given everything to us. Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace this morning in your word, seeing Jesus, the Christ, dying and being raised to new life for us. God, work it deep into our hearts. Work your truth deep into our hearts. May we respond now in authentic worship to gladly rejoice in you, our God, to give not just of our finances, to give of our lives. May Harvest Church give you a fragrant and pleasing sacrifice. It's in your name we pray. Amen.